He's the kind of man who, if I were a woman and he were around, I'd be in love with him. Please consider supporting the Wednesday blog by going to patreon.com slash s-t-h-o-s-d-k-a-n-e. Thank you. Welcome back to the Wednesday Blog, with me, Sean Kane. It's Wednesday, 8 February 2023. Today, I'm talking about the classic 1942 film, Casablanca, with my good friend, Alex Brisson. Few films have held our attention for as long as Casablanca, a romantic drama filmed at the height of the Second World War, telling a story yearning for America to remember its passion and enter the fray against the forces of evil. The story, now well known, is about an American cafe owner, Rick Blaine, in the Moroccan city of Casablanca, then a French protectorate under the control of the Vichy government. Into his purely neutral life walks an old love interest, Ilse Lund, with her husband, the resistance leader, Victor Laszlo. Everything that could be said about Casablanca has likely already been said, so what I'm going to say here isn't anything new. There really isn't any intervention that I can make into this particular discussion, as my fellow academics would insist every bit of writing make. So I'm going to point out a few things that I thought of watching the film, subtextual themes that I hadn't noticed the first time I watched it a few years ago. That time, I paired Casablanca with a delightful French film titled Que la lumière soit, Let There Be Light, starring Hélène de Fougerolles. They were an odd pairing, I'll admit. Casablanca is set in December 1941, on the eve of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and America's entry into the war. It's the last hour in the limelight of an isolationist America, an America that's still around but has been forced into the shadows by our country's leading role in the post-war world. I nevertheless found it interesting that the opening credits placed Casablanca, the city, less as a Mediterranean, or rather Mediterranean-adjacent port, but rather as a city on the map uh, behind the opening titles on the far northwestern corner of Africa. Casablanca is a gateway for those seeking to leave Europe, either to the west across the water to America, or south across the Sahara to the remaining free French and British colonies in Africa. This makes it clear that Casablanca is distinct from Europe. It's exotic when compared to the port of origin uh, and the destination of the traveler's waylaid in Casablanca. Amid all of them, one such traveler who's made a slightly more stable living than most, accepting the circumstances of his complicated situation in isolation amid many others of the displaced, appears Rick Blaine who has found stability in his café after losing the stability in his life at the German invasion of Paris and Elsa's disappearance all on the same day. The film's central conflict is Rick's internal struggle between the isolationism he's adopted since Elsa left him and he ended up a saloon keeper in Casablanca and the passion he once felt for Elsa in the last summer of the Age of Optimism in 1939. Now that Elsa appears with Laszlo, 
the embodiment of the resistance to Nazi rule in Europe, Rick is confronted by his lost passion for that cause. Elsa is a reminder of the passion for liberty he once felt that left him on the run from the Nazis in Paris, where they met in the first place. As with the first time that I watched this film in 2021, I now find myself pondering the message of isolation versus passionately standing up for the causes one believes in. I know people who are leaving this country to escape all the troubles we inflict on ourselves. I've thought of it myself, but there's that stubborn passion in me that won't give up on America. Rick's isolationism shows us how we can let bullies march into our lives and dictate orders to us if we let them, if we try to simply survive. That's a fair way to live. I dealt with bullies in school and life by not reacting to them. But at some point, a person can only take so much pushing around. And I worry that today in America, we've forgotten that fact. Rick's turning point comes when the Nazi officers bully their way into controlling the voice of his café, Sam's Piano, to play a march of their own, Die Wacht am Rhein, which was written in response to French efforts to annex the western banks of the Rhine in the 1840s, a moment a century before when France was the great power and Germany still divided among its princes. Laszlo tells the bands to respond to this insult by playing La Marseillaise, not only the French anthem, but an anthem for the struggle of the, of the people against oppression everywhere. At that point, Rick is no longer an isolationist. America is no longer on the sidelines, but is tacitly helping the Allies, readying to cross the Atlantic, in the words of French philosopher Bernard-Henri Lévy, like an Aeneas returning to the aid of old Troy. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. And welcome back, everyone. Today, I am joined by the uh, TV professional, the maker of a uh, an awesome Joseph uh, video that appeared in our sophomore high school uh, religion class, uh, the creator of Campus Cops, um, Bruce Flicks, and co-creator of Star Trek, the original siblings podcast, the ever mustachioed Mr. Alex Brisson. Hello, hello, thank you. What an intro. <laughs> I, I love the memory of the, the baseball bat and the two balls. In uh... Oh my gosh, that's what you're referring to. I was trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. We were supposed to make like a five-minute video and ours was like 16 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, well, and the fact that the first watching, the, the teacher didn't realize. <laughs> Apparently she did on later rewatches. <laughs> okay, so we are today talking about Casablanca which was released 80 years ago, um, a couple weeks back. I just happened to forget that that anniversary was happening. Yeah, so Casablanca, directed by Michael Curtis, um, music by Max Steiner, one of the great Hollywood composers, um, and it's based off of a stage play called Everyone Comes to Rick's that I believe was on Broadway in the 30s. Um, and it's also it also inspired um, the episode Profit and Loss, Season 2, Episode 18 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, man. Now I'm going to have to rewatch it. I didn't even realize that was Casablanca. Yep. Quark and the, the Cardassian scientist. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. Yeah, I'm totally going to have to rewatch that one now. Now with the context of that. Yeah, it was on. It, I had it queued up a couple of nights ago and it just didn't happen. But I'll watch it again maybe today because the Chiefs aren't on today. They are on next weekend. So... 
I, yeah, hard to believe it's 80 years old. It, I mean, you know, I mean, there are great, a lot of great films from back then, honestly, but it's like, it just, it, you know, it's like, it feels like it could have been made, you know, like this year, you know, actually it almost doesn't cause it's like, so it's so good. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's like, uh, it's almost too good for 2022, 2023. But, uh, this movie, um, the, the director, uh, what's his name michael curtis is that right i've only seen one other film of his and that's white christmas and so those are my only two these are my only two exposures to his uh his directing but um i know that they i i had read that they didn't really aspire to like you know nobody thought this was like a great film when they were making it you know like mm-hmm. like they they you know they, i truly sure thought they were making a good film but like but like nobody would have guessed that it like performed the way that it did um so that that's kind of crazy, you know, that, like, they just kind of happened into this. It's, I mean, it was such a politically charged moment in history, like, like, probably as politically charged of a moment as we've had since then. Like, I don't, th- I don't think we've had, like, you know, things had not reached, like, that level of boiling point since 1942, 43 time. So it's, like, it's, it's crazy, and, and you can really feel that, and so it's, like, you, you get that, yeah, I mean... Let me let me just say, I guess right off the top, like what a really exceptional film this is. Obviously, it's like one of the most acclaimed films in history, you know. And man, it's it's just so competently done and so like between like the the polit the politics, which are honestly like the background of the story, really. But it's like there's so much going on with that, and it's like and then and then the characters are just so like well defined, and everybody has their own like motivations and like and and everybody's kind of complicated you know everybody's like a kind of a shade of gray which i think makes for a really good story it's like with the exception of maybe victor laszlo he's he's pretty like he's he's pretty noble and heroic he's definitely like a definitive good guy he's always lit more than the other characters too so this film it was inspired by the film algiers uh which came out in 1938 which was a remake uh an american remake of a french film pepe le moco that came out, I think, a year before in France. Um, that starred Jean Gabin, who was the actor. He was a big French kind of Bogart-type uh, actor uh, from the period. Um, if any, if anyone who's listening has also seen the French Netflix series um, These Poissons, Call My Agent, the, uh, the Jack Russell Terrier in that, mo- in that show is called uh, Jean Gabin in honor of the actor. Um, but... Yeah, I, I loved that show. I watched it this fall. Um, so you can watch Algiers and Pepe Lamoco on HBO Max as well as Casablanca. Yeah, and it's um, it's funny because like like not that many moments in the movie are like specifically transcendent, but like the the combination of just everything being done so well is like that that and then it becomes transcendent and it's like the uh boy i completely forgot the first like you know we don't even meet rick until we're like 10 minutes into the movie i didn't realize like like we get like that whole setup where we're like out in the streets and they're like arresting all the people and stuff and and we got like you know the guy uh the guy like um pickpocketing those two americans you know and we get the whole background of like everybody's trying to get like a uh get papers to get out of um casablanca basically to get to um where, where are they all going to um lisbon lisbon thank you yeah yeah and so it's and it's all established like really fast and then and then even the first few shots in ricks were kind of sweeping across all the tables and everybody's doing like kind of little secretive stuff they do a really good job of establishing like 
you know the political landscape of the world and then how this like particular bar is like the center of where all of this kind of shady business is happening and it's really like a lot very quickly and then yeah and then rick is so good too of course uh you know bogart of course is great all of the performances in this movie are like really fantastic and you even get like like uh peter laurie shows up and plays a very minor part and it's like and I, I i recognize him instantly and it's like it's funny he's like he's such a he always plays such a like little creepy guy that it's like as soon as you see him you're like Ugh, <laughs> like this guy <laughs> yeah no there uh, there are so many good roles i i'd say my favorite character is the uh the cop yeah the police chief i completely forgot about him from the my previous viewing and, and this time i was like he's he's easily one of the most interesting characters and he's Man, he seems like such a slime for a lot of it, but he comes around at the end and is redeemed, which is which I love. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and he's he's also in like a you know in a really interesting like spot on the you know political, like he's got just like a lot of different like like I like when the Germans are like you know he's like well I you know I serve you guys because you're in charge or whatever and they're like yeah but like what if someone else becomes in charge like then would you still be loyal to us? He's like, oh, you know, it's, it's like, you, you don't admit that that would ever potentially happen, though, right? Like, you guys will be in charge forever, according to you, right? <laughs> he just kind of, like, changes the subject. I loved it. Yeah, no, he, he really fits the role of sort of the middle class in occupied Europe that was happy with the old order and is trying to make things work in the new order, but it would, wouldn't mind the old order coming back eventually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, he's just trying to make the most of his situation. Yeah. You know, him and Rick are very similar, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. I like that they end up at the end where, you know, they, they have a beautiful friendship, <laughs> you know? So on that note, then, let's talk about if we were each to write a sequel to this one. Because the the ending of this, is it's a good ending. It's a good way to finish the story. It's a good way to say goodbye to the characters. But if it were to follow up on that beautiful friendship, let's say, what would your sequel be let's see i mean of course i think it would be a mistake to make a casablanca sequel but like but you know assuming that i was in a situation where i had to because not all movies need sequels and this and this especially is a movie that does not need a sequel it stands alone so well it's like nothing is left unresolved i would think it would have to be it would still have to be kind of world war ii base and i wish i knew history a little better to know like what what was going to happen next in casablanca and it's a little tricky because it's like rick goes through such an arc of becoming ultimately kind of a good guy but part of what works so well for most of the movie is that he's not really a good guy that he's kind of like a self-pitying uh you know loser kind of like um with you know he's not a loser really he's kind of he's kind of awesome honestly but he's but he's morally very like like wishy-washy you have to find a way to put rick into another position where he's where he would you know rather be self-serving than doing the right thing gosh i don't know it oh man what, what do you think it's because it's it's like a sequel to this movie is like almost inherently broken because you also lose the romance of it unless you have her come back again. Well, so with the history, this is in December of 1941. So Pearl Harbor is about to happen. So the U.S. is about to enter the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know at the end of it, they say um, Louis, the uh, the cops, uh, tells Rick that there's a free French garrison in Brazzaville. And then I would be curious to see maybe Rick and Louis returning to Casablanca with the Allies in 1943, uh, 1942, 1943. So this film comes out at the same time. They released it intentionally at the same time as the invasions. So it could be interesting to see a contemporaneous thing where they return to Casablanca, they return to Rick's, they see um, 
characters from the original uh, that are still there, the the owner of the Blue Parrot. Yeah, so no, just seeing them coming back to Casablanca a couple of years later once the um, the Allies have arrived. Casablanca 2 returned to Casablanca. And maybe seeing how the, the dynamics between the characters have changed, so the cop is probably going to face some trouble. I, I like the idea that it's kind of a buddy film between between Rick and the cop character. I think that would be the way to go with it, is that it's like, okay, the, the romance from the first one is, you know, that's done, now it's just about these two guys kind of handling their business in their kind of shady backhanded way that they tend to do like yeah so that'd be that'd be funny you know watching them try to kind of bribe their way like from country to country type of thing or whatever they gotta do like yeah maybe it's more of yeah like but more of like a buddy adventure type flick in that same kind of landscape you know, you know what is interesting about the film, too, in terms of genre is, I guess that's a film noir, basically, and I, I'm not sure at the time that I first saw it, I probably didn't even know what a film noir was or what the conventions of it were, really, because um, it's a genre that's, you know, we we get the occasional neo-noir now, like like Road to Perdition or uh, Bridge of Spies or something, but uh, but mostly mostly the genre's not around now, so it's... um. But it's, I was thinking it's kind of interesting because it's, cause it's a genre that basically evolved out of the German Expressionist films. And it's just interesting because it's, you know, this is such a uh, anti-Germany movie, basically. Um, and so it's, I just think it's funny that we kind of took their conventions and, like, m- you know, made a film, you know, basically, be, like, rallying Americans to... Uh, stand up against them sort of a thing. Well, and so many of the people involved in it were exiles from Europe who fled the Nazis. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. They, they say that most of the cast were, were European exiles, um, which made the, the, the duel of the uh, patriotic songs, der, was it Der Wacht am Rhein, uh, was the German one, and La Marseillaise, of course, was the French one, uh, even more emotional for them because, you know, this is what they're living at the moment. And then the director, Michael yeah. Curtis, was a Hungarian Jew who left in 1926, but, you know, so he left before the Nazis took over, but he couldn't have gone back sure yeah well it's not like 26 was a great time in germany either necessarily so um yeah um what was as far as like uh, like how the common american felt at the time like like were were people kind of in support more of isolationism and they kind of like that changed over time or were a lot of people kind of like eager to get you know, to, to bring America into the war in terms of, like, how Americans felt at the time. It's interesting, too, because if you look a couple of years before, people reviled Chaplin's The Great Dictator because it made fun of Hitler and Mussolini, and it was just, it seemed like it was too much of a threat to American isolationism. But then you go forward a couple of years, and you have Casablanca, and people loved it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you hit it the wrong time, sort of a thing. It's too bad too, because Chaplin's film is so great. Like, like, uh, yeah, not enough. Uh, yeah, didn't get appreciated. I can't believe he was somehow labeled as a communist after that too. It's like because of stupid John Wayne. I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. And I think on that note, that might be a good place to uh, to end for today. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Oh yeah, guys, go check out uh, go check out my YouTube channel, Real Alex Brisson. I watch uh, bad movies on there and make fun of them in my series Briss Flicks. And then I have a podcast with my sister called Star Trek: The Original Siblings, where we watch episodes of Star Trek: The Original Series and we talk through the whole thing and make jokes and uh, have fun. It's a good old time. So go check those out. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. 
The Wednesday blog is written, read, and produced by me, Sean Kane, and I also came up with the theme music. You can learn more about my work by going to linktree slash esthosdkane. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash S-T-H-O-S-D-K-A-N-E. There you'll find links to my website and my blog. Thanks. Thanks as always to my monthly supporters, including Elizabeth Duke, John Lundy, and Alex Brisson. It's only $5 a month for the monthly supporters. I appreciate their help. You can learn more about how to support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash This episode featured Alex Brisson and Michael Ashcraft. You can learn more about their work by going to alexbrisson.com and soundslikeashcraft.com. Thank you. This podcast is distributed by Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm.